think that horse racing probably came together this year or last year in 2020, more Benjamin than any time I can ever remember. Hmm. And after covering it for a long time, and I, I thought everybody really worked together. If there's a good thing that could come out of what was just a terrible year, uh, it, you know, it, it, it was that, I mean, in a, in a sports for terrible year for everybody in life, that's the main thing. But in sports, with all the confusion, probably horse racing had its best year of, of being a uni- having a unified front and, a, and adapting and adjusting and trying, trying to work together. Hey everyone, Benjamin Block here, and welcome into the latest episode of Block's Corner. That voice you just heard belongs to Kenny Rice, whose name is synonymous with horse racing for at least the last 30 years. And Kenny's going to be virtually hosting the Eclipse Awards, its 50th anniversary, happening this Thursday, January 28th on TVG. He stopped by to share so many great stories. His drive is infectious, and his love of sports spans horse racing. It was a really great hour that we got to spend together talking, and I think it's a conversation that you'd really enjoy. So without further ado, here's my full conversation with Kenny. The Eclipse Awards, the 50th anniversary this year, are going to be virtual. I doubt you've had many experiences doing something virtually, especially an awards ceremony like that. Can you talk about how you prepared for it and what can we all expect? Yeah, Benjamin, this is my first uh, virtual awards show. (laughs) And uh, it it was very interesting. It was me standing in front of a screen with the, uh, the emblem of the Eclipse Award behind me. And then talking to about four people out there, the crew, and then throwing it to different locations. Uh, we're going to have people in Florida, um, in Kentucky, in uh, New York, I believe, and then uh, in uh, Santa Anita in California that I would throw to them periodically. So how it all comes together, uh, we will find out uh, Thursday night. Uh, on TVG. That's all I know. And uh, it, it was it was different, you know, because you're not getting any feedback. Uh, this is the fifth time I've hosted it. And uh, and so, uh, you know, from that standpoint, uh, you have an idea of the of the rhythm, at least in the opening part of what you're going to say. That didn't vary much from what I would have said in front of a live audience. Sure. Uh, but then after that, y- you just hope. But, you know, we've got some talented people and uh, and they're all picking it up, and and they'll all take it and run with it. And uh, so I, I'm sure it'll be a fun show. And, you know, the main thing is, you know, the award show, the people are going to get into it that are in the business. So I think that, uh, you know, once it gets going, uh, it, it, might, uh, you know, it might be the wave of the future. I don't know. It's certainly an interesting point, and it's funny. You'll be an interested spectator, just as the rest of us, to an extent, to see how it all pans out. And I'm, I'm sure it'll work out great, because technology has it has its evils, but it also can bring us together the way it has and will Thursday night for the Eclipse Awards. Can you talk about how important and how meaningful these awards are for people that may not know? Because, it, you know, in doing some research... I saw that you were a recipient, I think back in 96, I want to say. Yeah. 
a local yeah. television achievement award you got. So you know personally what this award means and the gravity it has. So can you maybe just talk about it a little bit from that standpoint? Yeah, Benjamin, you know, it's uh, I, I equate it to the Oscars. It's the equine version of the Oscar <laughs> awards. And you're going to forever identified uh, once you win one as an Eclipse Award winner, at least in the horse racing community. Uh, now, in that community, you say Eclipse Awards and it carries a lot of weight. Uh, maybe not in the rest of the sports world, in the general population, a few people will know. Uh, but the but the whole point is it, it honors the best of that year. And there's certainly been some great winners over the years. There's been a few surprise winners over the years. Um, you know, I was very fortunate. Uh, it kind of it kind of uh, reignited my career a little bit. I was doing local sports. I won the Eclipse Award. Uh, ESPN contacts me. I wind up doing ESPN work. Uh, on a show called Today at the Races that they had, oh, wow. uh, which led to doing some, yeah, led to doing some Kentucky Derby and some Preakness and Belmont, and then that's kind of uh, segued right into starting with NBC in 1999, where I've been with them since then. But uh, you know, I mean, that was one of the ways because it kind of reminds people, you know, hey, take a look, and, and it's not just me. I mean, it's pretty much everybody that's won the Clips Award. It's had some effect on their life, maybe. Not a maybe not a big career change like with me, but it's had some effect. And with the horse industry, uh, you know, when you can say, you know, my horse was uh, the divisional champ, being a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a grass horse, uh, a sprinter, whatever the situation is, that 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 carries that carries uh, uh, gravitas that you don't you, you don't just have said, well, you know, he was a good horse that year. She was a good horse. She was the Eclipse Award winner. He was the Eclipse Award winner. And that perks up ears and okay. everybody in the business, they'll be watching the, if they don't watch tomorrow night, they'll, they'll be setting their DVR. If they don't watch Thursday night, they'll set their DVR and they'll be ready to, to watch it back. So they will know who won everything. Uh, you know, honestly, right now, we, like I said, I, we just got through taping not long ago. I only know about three of the winners because I'm throwing it to uh, <laughs> Acacia Courtney and uh, Gabby Godette down in Florida or Janine Edwards and Brittany Erton. Uh, in Kentucky, or Jay Privman and Gary Stevens, and in, in, um, I'm throwing it to them in California, and Kenny Maine, I think, up in Connecticut. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Walker Bueller, the Dodgers pitcher, who's a Kentucky guy, oh, sure. uh, he's given away one of the awards. And uh, and so, you know, I, I know I know two or three of the award winners, but that's all I know. So I'm kind of curious myself. I'll be watching to see. Uh, I'm a voter, too, so I, you know, I'll be curious how my vote went if I uh, – so I was able to, you know, see if I won a few sort of like with some of my colleagues, uh, <laughs> if we were all on the same page in the voting. Do you have a general take on expectations and surprises or, award, you know, potentials to look out for? Just any kind of general educated guesses in that way? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if I'm betting right now, and I really don't know the, the outcome yet, I, I honestly don't. But I, here's who I voted for, and I think most people will. Uh, I think the horse of the year is close to a lock is going to be authentic. He won the Kentucky Derby and he won the Breeders' Cup Classic. And that's pretty rare to do in the same year. Yeah. Uh, so he won, you know, the you know, two marquee races are the, are, are really those two. And he also uh, if not, you don't go on to and win the triple crown. And not to interrupt you, I agree with you on that point from the standpoint that he also won the Secretariat Voice of the People Award, which I have to believe is going to carry a ton of weight. You know, and then and I was there to see both his wins, and uh, 
And I was there to see the Preakness, which I think was the race of the year. I know we don't give an Eclipse Award for race of the year, but it was. Ooh, um, interesting category, with, with, by the way. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, because, the, you know, I mean, that was, that was tremendous when um, Swiss Skydiver wins it. The Phillies beat the boys. That's very rare. Swiss Skydiver will be the three-year-old. She'll be the three-year-old Philly of the year. I mean, I, I don't see anybody that can touch her in that category. Obviously, Authentic will be the three-year-old of the year as well as the horse of the year. I mean, these are my predictions. And, and I don't think I'm going out on any kind of limb for that. No, I don't uh, think Monomoy so, Girl will be the older female. Monomoy Girl, who's one of the finalists. She's the only female finalist for Horse of the Year, okay? So you know she's a lock to win the older female award. <laughs> um, and then I think uh, then Improbable, who's also a finalist for Horse of the Year, uh, will be the older horse, uh, older male horse of the year. You know, I think, I think those are pretty much guaranteed uh, I think it'd be a real interesting race to see who is the trainer of the year. Uh, Bob Baffert is up for it. Chad Brown. I mean, not Chad Brown, excuse me. A rare moment. Chad Brown's not up for it. It's uh, Bob Baffert, Brad, uh, Brad Cox and uh, Steve Asmussen. Yes. Right. And I think that, I think that'll be an interesting, I think that'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I know all of them. I have great respect for all of them. I voted for Baffert personally because he had, I think he's going to have the horse of the year, the three-year-old of the year, the older horse of the year, and probably the, probably the female sprinter of the year in Gamine. Uh, you know, he's going to have horses win four, four of those categories, including the big prize. Uh, you know, that's a pretty good year for a trainer. So, uh, But that's not a guarantee. It'll probably come down to he and Cox, I think, will be probably one, two in the voting on that. It's going to be a toss-up. That'll be interesting to see. I know you go back with Bob Baffert, and Bob Baffert probably transcends the horse world to most casual fans, or the guy they know him as the guy with the white hair, I'm sure. In some way, they know Bob Baffert. Has that recent scandal, do you think that will affect the voting at all, the, the test positive for the banned substances? Yeah, you know, I think it will. I think there's always those people in the horse business that want to so protect the sport that they hurt the sport, to be honest. Some of the people that are listed. Well, it's, it's always, you know, because it's an insular world. Uh, you know, I've been in and out of this world for a long time and, you know, covered this sport. And I, I mean, I'm best known for this. If for anybody that does know me, I mean, more for horse racing and then probably mixed martial arts. Talk about two sports, you know. Yeah, you have a great association with both. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, the, the thing is, um, yeah, Baffert... Uh, Baffert came out and did kind of his mea culpa. He released a statement before the Breeders' Cup. I think that helped him where he said he's going to, you know, take better charge of the barn. We're going to go forward. I think that would help him. What's really weird uh, about some of this is like, for example, the Philly, the Gamine, who's so talented. Right. Uh, she tested positive for lidocaine. You know, you probably I've, I've used it. If you get a little sore muscle, you probably rubbed it on. You go out and play a hard play some three, three basketball at certain ages, you have to use it more Yeah, or, or, you know, or, or, you know, some kind of liniment. Uh, so it's, um, it's not performance enhancing the drugs that were tested. It was just, it was just some of the minutia of the, the sport itself that's hurting the industry where they need to have some uniformity where it doesn't get silly with the rules. You know, there's some medications you can give a horse up to 48 hours before a race, but not, 42 hours or 36 hours before the race. Yeah, minutia is, is a perfect word, and that's a great example of what you mean by that. And the uniformity, too. I know that Lasix has long been a conversation as far as uniformity goes. So minutia seems to be a very appropriate word for it all. 
Could you imagine going into the Super Bowl and, you know, in a hypothetical world, uh, oh, no, Rob Gronkowski took two Tylenols instead of one uh, the night before the game. So, therefore, uh, you know, we're going to have to put an asterisk beside him. Maybe he doesn't play in the first half. Right. He took That's it 48 hours out, but this tight end took it 36 hours out. So, he's yeah. okay. You know, it's a it's a weird conversation. Yeah. I can definitely uh, agree with that. And I like – I try to use analogies like that for people that, you know, don't follow the horse racing much because you just hear that, you know, and, and not just Baffert, but – Pretty much everybody that's been a trainer has been hit with these uh, offenses. And, yes, there have been some serious ones. But, you know, for the most part, like with Bob's, I mean, it, it, it really is. It, it, it is pretty much the, the equivalent of saying, now, let's see, are you taking aspirin right. or are you taking, uh, are you, taking uh, you know, a Tylenol, an ibuprofen? What, what's cool? that's, how, that's how silly it gets. But, yes, I think there will be voters that hold that against him. They think, oh, it, it hurt the sport. I got news for him. For the most part, a lot of people on the outside look at this sport and, and you know, they have questions. You know, is it on the up and up? Uh, you know, it goes back to old movies and everything else, right? And horse racing is the fix in and the whispers and all that. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is because of some of the reporting of it uh, that's just not fair and has been exaggerated. And uh, hopefully there'll be, with the new act that was pushed in with all the other bills, they kind of snuck in this uh, – uh, horse integrity kind of bill, uh, if you notice, uh, uh, with all the stimulus packages, and and may, Mitch McConnell slid that one in for all the Kentucky boys, and you know maybe 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 that will help some to get you know like more governments needed, but maybe in this case governments needed more in horse racing to help have some uniformity. Yeah, there's always seems to be a, a good and a bad when government sort of um, <laughs> yeah. impedes any sport. So we'll leave it at that. I think everyone's really excited for what the Eclipse Awards are going to hold this year, notwithstanding the whole virtual aspect of it, which I think is going to go well. What I'd really like to know is how did you get into horse racing? I don't want yeah. to stereotype you at all. You're a Kentucky guy through and through. Is that just if you if you grow up and live in Kentucky, is horse racing just life? Or what was your specific draw Ab to it? Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> it was, it was uh, totally, you know, just because there was an opening. Uh, when I got a job in local TV in Lexington, uh, there was no one really covering the horse business, okay? And this is the now ABC covers, affiliate? Yeah, it was the ABC affiliate and uh, the University of Kentucky basketball. I mean, that's huge. Uh, Kentucky basketball is... Uh, is, is a way of life is, down is there, not, right? It, it's, yeah, it, it's the one thing that people in churches and bars can agree on. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's how it crosses over, you know. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's one of the rare things that everybody agrees on. Even in the biggest city, uh, Louisville, which has a, obviously a very uh, talented uh, basketball team itself, uh, about half of the Louisville population root for the University of Kentucky. So covering <laughs> Kentucky basketball was, you know, that was everybody was doing it. Yeah. So to try to find my niche in there, I mean, I'm covering that. You're covering the obvious ones. Uh, but uh, to try to, you know, to try to find the niche, I looked around and, and horse racing had so many, there's so many people in the state of Kentucky that are employed by horse racing uh, in the Lexington, Central Kentucky area. And, you know, that, that's everything from uh, uh, feed stores to, to landscapers, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, guys that are painting the fence to fence companies. Uh, you know, there's there's all these cottage industries built around horse racing. So I just started going out to Keeneland and asking a few questions. And, you know, most people were very receptive. 
And one of the guys I met very early is one of the great trainers of all time, Wayne Lucas. Sure. And uh, Lucas was relatively new in the business at that time. But he is also was a freshman basketball coach at the University of Wisconsin. Oh. And I found that out. So we talked basketball. So he was uh, he was great. He would give me analogies like that's my power forward. That's my point guard. <laughs> and I love basketball. It's still my favorite sport, basketball. Oh, and uh, so, you know, yeah, so I related to that and we related to each other because, to be honest, he was kind of an outsider in the horse business at that time. Uh, he was the quarter horse guy that had the audacity to come into thoroughbred racing. And thoroughbred racing is very protective of itself. You know, you just sure. don't get in here. And, uh, you know, obviously how great he's been. And it's kind of funny, the two best trainers, I think, of all time, Bob Baffert being number one and Wayne being number two, they both come from quarter horse backgrounds. I, I don't know exactly how that translates, but uh, yeah, that it, is it's, funny. it's worked. Yeah, it's worked well for them. But anyway, that was how Wayne helped me out. I started doing some things like that. We covered a race. I covered a, a horse sale at Keeneland in 1982. They sold a horse for four and a quarter million. At that time, it was a world record. Whoa. I called ESPN, and that's when ESPN, you know, you could call up there. They only had like about 10, 12 guys. And, you know, like you <laughs> yeah. call up there, and really, and Chris Berman or Bob Lee or, or the late Tom Bees, you know, one of these guys would answer the phone. That's funny. So I called up there, and I told them who I was, told them the story. They put me in touch with a producer. He said, hey, a four and a quarter million dollar horse. That sounds interesting. And uh, send us a story and we may use it. If we use it, you know, we'll pay you, you know, hardly anything, but then pay. So I put it on a plane wow. in Lexington. We sent it up the next morning to uh, uh, Hartford, Connecticut. They drove from Bristol and picked it up. I called and told them the way bill number and everything. They used it. They liked it. They called me and said, could we get a follow up? I did a follow up. They used it. Uh, about two weeks later, I got a call. They had started a show called the Down the Stretch. And they were doing weekly horse racing uh, reporting and stories. And being in Lexington was obviously an ideal spot. So would you be interested in doing some freelance for us? I wasn't making that much money in local news. Uh, so every extra dime helped. I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. And uh, so, Benjamin, that's the long story of how it all came about. It was certainly not part of my plan. But horse racing was the entree I had to national exposure and uh, eventually led to NBC work. That's great. It led to meeting a good mutual friend of ours, Billy Rappaport, yes. uh, along the way, you know, some 30-some years ago. Uh, <laughs> we met doing harness racing on ESPN, wow. uh, the Hamiltonian oh, at wow. the Meadowlands. Yeah, because once I got in doing some of that stuff with ESPN very early on, I was one of their stringers on a few other things. You know, I'd go up to, like, Cincinnati Reds games. Uh, it's not that far away. And we covered Reds and Bengals. And then, of course, Kentucky basketball occasionally it, and that was at Wide Open Days of Sports Center when we had several freelancers uh, out there. And then, uh, you know, that, that was when they were still showing like the Celtic games, uh, <laughs> Australian Roofs football. That, that, those were the sports on ESPN then. You know, they, they were, I think they were just getting like the NFL draft at that time. You know, that was like the, one of the big gets at that moment. But, oh, those... uh, but Billy and I were working together at ESPN and at NBC for, geez, I don't know, you know, 30 some years. He's a dear friend. And, and I've met several, you know, really good friends like Baffert and Lucas and Nick Zito and people like that along the way in horse racing. And and I've really enjoyed it. I always like to come to New York. I like to go to Los Angeles and uh, go to Santa Anita and, and uh, just have had a very, very good, very good run so far. And maybe get a couple of three more years left in me, I hope. Oh, I, I'm sure you have more. I, I hope you do, because, I mean, I speak for probably many people who really enjoy watching you on the telecast and on NBC. It sounds like horse racing has been an amazing entree to some 
great friendships and traveling around the country and it's it's opened up a whole world for you i and going back to your point just real quickly about what wayne lucas said to you this saying this is my power forward and this is my center i always thought that when you take sort of terms and analogies from other sports and you mesh them together that really enhances things and brings in other audiences and so i always love stories like that so that's very cool. Interesting to know that basketball is your favorite sport. We'll have to maybe have a side conversation because I'm a struggling Knicks fan. Old I'm enough sorry. to realize the close calls that they had in the 90s. Not quite old enough for their last championships. I am old enough to know some of the good days, you know, with Ewing and Oakley and Starks and Mason and those guys. It seems like Kentucky has a pipeline to the Knicks lately with most recently Emmanuel, <laughs> Emmanuel Quickly and Kevin Knox yeah. and Julius Randle. It's, we have a lot of Kentucky guys, so. Do you have any thoughts about well, those see, guys? Go, yeah, well, see, first off, I'll say I go back to those teams you're talking about, okay? Oh, because that's, that's a, when NBA a, basketball was great, in my opinion. It still is fun to I watch. Had a, but. Yeah, I had a dear friend of mine, Kenny Skywalker, the NBA slam dunk champ from 89. Oh, sure. Uh, an All-American at Kentucky who interned for me no when way. I was doing local sports in Lexington. And it's just been a – we've been great friends. I went over and saw him when he played in Spain. I, I saw him several times at the Garden oh, that's so uh, cool. when he was playing. And you know, unfortunately, he was the guy that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a tweener. You know, I mean, he really couldn't put the. He wasn't like a handle the ball kind of forward. Uh, but yeah, I remember seeing Oakley and Starks and all those guys. And it's funny, you know, looking at some of these Kentucky players now who are blossoming in the pros. Uh, you know, probably if they'd stayed another year, you know, if if if. Yeah. Because uh, Kentucky's kind of become like the, you know, the bed and breakfast for the NBA. I mean, under John Calipari, that's what Kentucky's become. I mean, it's I not mean, like you really, you yeah, know, to, we don't worry about these guys. They're not going to stay around. You get one year and that's it usually. To shamelessly use a horse racing term, Calipari is like breeding these guys for the NBA. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it's it's incredible. I kind of wished, you know, what do I know? But I kind of wish that Kevin Knox had a year or two more to develop, but he's starting to come into his own. But Emmanuel quickly is, if you blink, he's going to take New York by storm, I think. People are falling in love with him up here in in the New York. I'm area. happy for him. I'm happy for him, and honestly surprised that he's doing so well so quickly. I was also surprised that uh, Tyler Hero down in Miami, you know, did oh. so well so quick. Yeah, because, he's you know, blossoming. he had quickly. Yeah, he had, he and uh, you know quickly and and Hero both were guys that were good players. You saw potential there, but I didn't think they would step in and, and have uh, you know the scoring impact that they had right away. But there's other guys, you know, that's kind of come around like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Alexander. Some of these guys come out of Kentucky. And it seems like the longer they play, the better they get. Yeah. Uh, they just, you know, they just obviously were not close to their peak uh, when they left UK. And and I think there's some frustration for Kentucky fans. Not not like the Nick fans. I'll give you that. Bitch, <laughs> but the frustration in Kentucky is, you know, it's great they're all going to the NBA. But, you know, on second thought, if you got all these first round guys, how come we only got one championship? You know, I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's like Nick Saban in Alabama, you know, yeah. you're paying a coach for basketball about seven and a half, eight million dollars a year. You kind of want championships. You don't really care. The NBA draft choices are great, but you want to put a banner or two up. You know? I was just going to say in college, it's got to be about banners because I don't think yeah. being a fixture in the final four, that's amazing for many programs, but I figure for Kentucky, that is probably not a concession that they want. 
No, and this year they're having a terrible season. They already lost uh, ten games. I did. So yeah, this is an outlier of a season. It's very rare to see from an outsider standpoint. Just see the record they have this year. And the frustrating part about that is, you know, it's it's kind of a you got one shot. Obviously, one and done kids primarily. Yeah. Uh, you know, a few maybe a couple of guys back from last year, but mostly one and done guys. So if they don't come in, and Kentuckians got spoiled early on because Calipari did things that were amazing. I mean. You know, he brought in Eric Bledsoe and John Wall and Demarcus Cousins in the same class. I know. Uh, and then obviously, crazy to think about. You know, and even crazier, they didn't win a championship. They got beat out by West Virginia in the That's uh, right. in the yeah the Elite Eight. And then, uh, but you know, but then they come along with maybe the best player ever in Kentucky history uh, in uh, Anthony, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, uh, sure. Uh, certainly the best defensive player ever in Kentucky history, and you know, to win a championship with him, and then. Now it's become a long time, you know, it's uh, approaching nine years and, uh, you know, schools like Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, they don't like to wait nine years. You know, Kansas, they don't want to wait nine years. No, I'm listening to what you're saying. And all I'm thinking about is the parallels of being a Yankee fan. Same exact thing. They, and anything, anything short of the fall classic, it's, you know, we, people don't care. (laughs) <laughs> and in the small world department, not that we're tight, not that we're close friends, but I do know him and I knew his family well. Uh, Brian Cashman. Uh, oh, I yeah, that's him. right. I keep I forgetting his, he's from that area down there. I covered his baseball career at Lexington Catholic High School. Wow. Uh, back in the 80s, his father was uh, one of the leaders in the harness racing industry uh, oh, and wow. ran the biggest, the biggest at that time harness operation. In uh, North America, Castleton Farm. That was, you know, years ago before most of the harness racing world moved to New Jersey with uh, <laughs> some tax incentives. But uh, John Cashman, the late John Cashman, what a great gentleman he was and a, and a good friend of mine. Oh, that's, and so I met, that's so cool. I met Brian when he was a kid, you know, and I saw Brian. He gave a trophy away. I don't know. NBC, we did the Hamiltonian about three years. And I guess it's been like maybe seven, eight years ago when he was there giving out a trophy. Uh, that's the last time I I saw him, but I was happy for his success. And uh, my father was stationed up east when he was in the in the army, and he said the Yankees. This is back in the day. He went. That was back in the day when they had the Brooklyn Dodgers oh, wow. and the New York Giants. All right, and the 40s, Yankees. 40s and 50s. And, yeah, in, uh, yeah, in the early 50s, around the Korean War time. And uh, my my father helped was was an instructor in the summers to cadets at uh, West Point. So huh. he spent a lot of time at Camp Buckner in the summer. And, you know, they drive into the city and he would uh, he said the Yankees always gave them good seats, always gave the soldiers good seats. <laughs> so he was kind of even though we're St. Louis Cardinal fans, we, we always kind of like the Yankees. If the Yankees are doing well, we can live with that, too. Two classic and traditional organizations. So I don't think there's yeah any problem there. <laughs> yeah. That's very wow. That's very cool. The six degrees of separation. Yeah, Cashman yeah. has done very well for himself in the New York area. My God, he's been in what like twenty years now or so. I mean, this is amazing run for a GM in the well in anywhere, but especially in New York. Amazing you know, a GM run of a, sport. Amazing run as a GM, and and then just the backstory gets even sweeter because he developed out of being an intern. So you know, he yes. he just has the um, he's got the relatability and the awe factor and he's done right by new york for sure yeah and in the crazy world benjamin like of, of the you know how sports casting and sports writing as you know can lead to different things absolutely i used to interview george i used to interview george steinbrenner about once a year he would come into the tattersalls it was called the harness racing sale at the red mile in lexington 
which was one of the uh, preeminent uh, race tracks at that time. Not as much now. Okay. Uh, you know, the Meadowlands is the focus now, as it should be. But mm-hmm. the Red Mile was it still have moments. But Mr. Cashman, John Cashman, uh, Brian's dad ran the Red Mile too, as well as as well as the Castleton Farm. Huh. And so he introduced me to George Steinbrenner, oh, and you know, cool. I'd ask him some, you know, about the Yankees and about uh, different things. And I met, and because of harness racing. Uh, you know, I mean, because of the horse business and all, it's been some interesting people passed through Lexington that I've met over the years. Uh, but I met Ralph Branca, who, you know, who's oh. probably, you know, you know, gave up the gave up the homer, you know, the shot heard around the world. Mm-hmm. Bobby Thompson, he was such a nice man. And and I'm kind of into history. I really enjoy history and I like to read about history and all this stuff. And uh, yeah, he played. The, he, it was This is Brooklyn Dodgers time we're talking about. It was uh, it was the fifty one uh, playoffs. It was nineteen fifty one. It was the game winning home run, Bobby Thompson off Ralph Brank at the Polo Grounds. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a nice man he was, and you know he talked about it freely, and everybody asked him the question. I hate to be the guy that asked him the question for the five thousandth time. I know, but uh, but you know we met a lot of people. Gary Players into the horse business. You know the great golfer and oh sure. And, you know the. Lexington, there's, it's an interesting little town. I mean, you know, and I consider it more like a big town than a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, it, and I mean that is, you know, I mean that in a Flattering nice way. way. You know, because it's uh, easy to get around and all that. But but the people that pass through here because of the horse business primarily, uh, you know, it's an international set. And uh, you know, you'll have at like the you know the the playwright actor Sam Shepard, uh, who passed away a few years ago. He loved it so much, he made it home here. Uh, wow. Lived in a little town called Midway that's just outside of Lexington. And uh, and that's where he passed away. But, you know, he was here, and you'd see him at the horse sales. Very nice man. And Jessica Lang, you know, his longtime partner, she would be coming around. And, oh, you yeah. know, the, a movie star. And, you know, I mean, you, you just look over there, and you go, this is, a, this is an interesting town. Lexington is. And it it's, uh, it, it kind of sneaks up on you, you know. Uh, you, you don't expect some of the things that you see here. That's kind of nice. That really sounds nice. Yeah, and then of course, you know, with basketball, since Calipari's been here, I mean, you know, he's he's got so many connections uh, that uh, you know, I, I think like LeBron James and people like that will pop in every now and then, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's been kind of it's been kind of Drake is a is a good friend of Calipari's, you know, he's got a UK <laughs> game. Drake pops in at least, at least pre-COVID days. Now it's pretty limited. I think only like three thousand can go to the games. It's, it's a real testament to that town that it can have that draw, and the people are are sort of connected to it or drawn to it in some fashion or or form. There, you know, you were talking about history, and it reminded me. I think it was something I saw that you had posted online where you had remembered back. I think it was the anniversary of John Lennon's death and you had remembered back to when you were just a kid working in that ABC affiliate as that yeah. program director or sports director. Yeah. And, yeah. and you seem to have a real vivid memory of that night. It was one of those, where were you moments? Obviously, what do you remember? Right. What are the specifics that uh, you remember about that? Cause that must've been you know, just crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you know, and this is the days in the early eighties, I was just out of college and, you know, it's my first big job doing the ABC Sports, you know, in Lexington. And uh, so, you know, you had the three networks and that was it. Uh, you didn't really have all the cable news and everything. So, you know, everybody's watching Monday Night Football. And even though we came on late, we had a pretty good audience at midnight. So, you know, you kind of 
getting your sports together and making sure you had everything updated and all that. And, you know, you're watching the game and then Howard Cosell comes on and you could just tell suddenly by the tone that everything's different. This is not going to be about the, you know, a, a trade in the NFL or anything like that. And he makes the announcement about John Lennon was uh, shot and killed uh, outside of the Dakota. And, uh, and, you know, I, it was just, you know, it was kind of stunning. I mean, being a, not only a Beatles fan, but a John Lennon fan, as many of us of my generation are, uh, you know, you just, it was one of those moments where you go, this can't be real. And, and here it is, Howard Cosell, uh, you know, transcending sports. You know, this is, this is a man giving a report. This is something really meaningful, mm-hmm. uh, something that's going to have, uh, that's, that's going to have an impact on people's lives uh, more than just, you know, somebody scoring a touchdown. This is really something that's going to have an impact. And, and I knew that at that moment. And I think the way he delivered it and, you know, with the sincerity and the emotions involved and to show it was okay to be a little bit emotional for a guy that was known for his brashness yeah. uh, and, and the way he reported, you know, the whole deal with Ali and the shtick that they always had. Right. And then to see this kind of reporting from him and this kind of a mixture of solid news reporting and emotion, uh, you know, it had an impact on me as a young reporter. And I think it did on a lot of people. And then, uh, you know, you just don't forget it. You go, man, John Lennon, this is uh, John Lennon can't be dead. Not John Lennon. Right. Not, who would shoot John Lennon? How could there be that kind of anger toward anyone, especially, uh, uh, you know, a great musician and a poet? I mean, that that was uh a moment, you know, I'll never like now. I, I still don't forget it after all these all these decades. I, I'll never forget that moment. Yeah. And the stun of the newsroom, there was total silence. All of a sudden, everyone shut up. You know, people were kind of murmuring around, talking. We didn't have a big newsroom. We probably had about a dozen people, but everybody just shut down. Incredible. So he was someone who had shaped you in your broadcasting career, either at that moment or beforehand, or were there any other influences for you? Well, you know, my dad and I used to listen when I was a kid. We'd listen to ball games. Like I said, I was a St. Louis Cardinal fan. So my favorite play-by-play announcer of all time is Harry Carey, <laughs> uh, the, the late Harry Carey. Now, most people remember him when he's with the Cubs. Maybe a few remember him when he's with the White Sox. Maybe that small portion will remember him the one year he did Oakland A's games. But when he was doing the Cardinals games, the man that was the number two guy for the Cardinals was, was Jack Buck. How, yeah. What kind of lineup is that? You had Harry Carey and Jack Buck, and I just love listening to them. And because I wanted to get into play-by-play, and you know, and I have done some. I mean, most people know me horse racing, but I do still do some college basketball and have done some and and done some football games. Um, I would listen to like Joe Tate in, at uh, in Cleveland. I would listen to you know these are stations I could pick up. I could pick up WSB in Atlanta. And I'd listen to uh, uh, Chip Carey. Because one of my favorite basketball players, Pete Maravich, had just come out of LSU, was playing for the Atlanta Hawks with Lou Hudson in the backcourt, who's another one of my favorite players. That's right. And then I used to get these records, you know, the records that you well, you don't remember in back of sporting news, you could order these records for like, you know, two ninety five, three ninety five or something. And it would be a recap of a season, you know, like a special season. Okay. So I listened to the Knicks, you know, to listen to Marv Albert. And, you know, I'd heard about this guy, but I wanted to hear him. And, you know, I got a record. Matter of fact, I still got these records. Oh, that's And Johnny cool. Most was doing games with the Celtics. And then later on in life, I got to work with Marv uh, for one year on NBC on the on a boxing series we did about uh, six years ago. And I worked with his son, Kenny, 
who's a, you know, and, and just talk about class guys, both of them, just tremendous guys. It was really a, a thrill to work with them uh, because I'd really always admired Marv, especially. I think he, he, you don't have to be a New Yorker to like Marv Albert, you know. And, no, he's uh, one of those that transcends any yeah. sort of jurisdiction. Yeah. He, I mean, he's yeah. he's everywhere, yeah. He he was a voice yeah. of my childhood as he was many, many people's, yeah. I'm sure. But, you know, I always liked that. I, I always liked to listen to different guys and, uh, you know, just different styles and, uh, you know, try to steal a little bit here and there, incorporate something here and there. That's great. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, and, I, and of course, and I, I love the ABC Wide World of Sports. And I think that's probably why I've had a – one of the reasons I've had an eclectic career, I think. You know, I mean, I've covered some kind of off-the-beaten-pass stuff uh, is because, you know, I always thought that was pretty cool. I mean – Heck, I learned where Poughkeepsie, New York, was by uh, because of the ro- because of the, the demolition derby they used to have. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people school. that live in New York City that don't know where Poughkeepsie, New York, is. So. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but they had the demolition derby there, you know. So I'd watch Jim McKay do this stuff, and and then of course, you know, the '76 Olympic Games when I was or '72 Olympics rather. I was a kid. I was in high school, but I knew then I was going into sportscasting. I didn't know, you know, exactly I was going to get there, but I was going to get there. Uh, and you know, I was watching McKay I mean, just brilliant reporting in 72, the tragedy of Munich. And, you know, it's just, you know, you watch that and you go, you, you can be a reporter and be a sportscaster. And, and I've always tried to be able to do that. You know, it's not always a, let's go team. And, uh, that's what I learned early on or watching Al Michaels cover the, um, 88 world series and, uh, the, the, uh, I got the, did I get the right year? Uh, A's and Giants and the, and the uh, earthquake or 89, the earthquake in San Francisco. 88 or 89. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I forget the year as well, as well, but, um, you know, I like how you describe your career and and how, you know, and you talk about your drive and your influences and it, it really seems that, you know, you were listening to the right people or you were in the right place at the right time to feed all that energy. And there was a quote of yours in an article, I think it was with uh, Topps Lexington. I don't know if that brings up any memories at all, but you had said something that really resonated for me. And you said racing can have four or five stories around one horse. And it's some, it's a situation you don't get in many other sports. And that I thought that was really incredible because maybe boxing has that a little bit of that as well. But I think that's a real draw to the sport, and obviously you must agree that you could talk to an owner, a trainer, a jockey, uh, observe a horse, and right there you have four, five, six different storylines, and that's an incredible thing about this sport. That's what drew me to the sport. Uh, When I started covering the stories, and again, going back to the ESPN days of down the stretch, um, I'd go out and do a story on a veterinarian sometimes, on a blacksmith. that's fascinating to watch a horse have, you know, a horse get, you know, shoes put on uh, to me at that time, you know, and it still is actually. And, um, yeah, you don't get, and you, I mean, yeah, to be able to, you're going to get stories about that. Yeah, and, and to go talk to, like you say, you talk to the to the owner who said, yeah, you know, I didn't want necessarily. This trainer said, we ought to get this jockey. I said, okay, I don't know. All right, fine, put the jockey on. Then he wins a major race, you know. So you got kind of a fun story there. Hey, the jockey that got the shot because – the trainer really insisted to the owner, you know, you get that more, uh, you know, going into the Super Bowl. Yeah, you're going to talk a little bit about that. I mean, it, you know, it's magical that Brady comes in and, you know, it's going to be in Tampa Bay and for the first time ever, the host team. You know, that's a great story. Uh, but, you know, you probably, you know, you got that story and you're going to stick with the stars. 
but in racing, again, you can you can drift off and you got the star trainers, but you also got a jockey. You know, Robbie Alvarado is a good example, a guy that's had uh, a great career. He's won like 5,000 races. He's had some personal issues. He was kind of put to the sideline, hard to get a mount. Uh, Kenny McPeak, the trainer, gives him the mount. Oh, on a filly, nonetheless, called Swiss Skydiver, who beats all the boys in the Preakness. You know, that's a nice little story. You know, you got the trainer and the owner who believes in the jockey still, even though he's kind of been pushed a little bit to the side, and he goes on and wins the race. And if you want to go even further, his uh, brother-in-law or his future brother-in-law is going to be Walker Bueller, the pitcher for the Dodgers. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of stories that you can uh, weave into things. And, and, you know, my – you know, my, I grew up in a small town. My parents were very encouraging. And uh, I think it was probably by being in a small town in some ways, uh, I was maybe a little bit of naive naivete, but I was also kind of fearless. I remember NBC when they called me up and the first job they gave me out of horse racing, I thought, hey, this is good. You know, I, I got to do boxing in the Olympics. I was a reporter in 2004 and I like boxing. I always have. And uh, so then, the you know, I come out of the Olympics. They said, you know, we liked what you did. We're going to give you a, a job and other sports to do. And I thought this is going to be great. wonder what it's, you know, I thought it was going to be maybe like, you know, Notre Dame football sideline or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was the professional bull riders. <laughs> I called the I called bull riding for three years. <laughs> and I guess it thought because I did horse racing and because I'm from the, you know, from the mid South here that we like, like we know all these animal sports, all this agricultural <laughs> sports thing. And right. I told them man, when they hired me, I said, you know, when they told me to do this, I said, look, I've never even been to a rodeo. I don't know that world. I don't, you know, bull riding. I don't know. I mean, I know you, you get on a bull and you get thrown off a bull. That's all I got. But, uh, That's all you know, I know. but I thought, Hey, Hey, they want me to learn this sport. They want me to do this sport. And I'm going to learn this sport. And I read everything I could. I even went out and rented a movie about bull riding and uh, talked to a few people. And I did it for three years. I called a couple of world championships, you know. And uh, But but I, I've always kind of liked that. I think it goes back to wide world of sports. I, I enjoy, uh, you know, the fact that I have done boxing and football and basketball and uh MMA and horse racing. I've done equestrian stuff. I've done polo matches because of horse racing. They assigned me horse, uh, polo because, you know, they figure a horse is a horse, 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 which is not, you know, and I've done horse. equestrian. I did, I did Olympic equestrian one year because, again, uh-huh. a horse is a horse. Well, you know, jumpers and cross-country horses are much different than thoroughbred racing. But I've enjoyed talking to people of different backgrounds and and learning what's going on in their world and uh that's kind of always been the curiosity i think is what kind of still still drives me even with horse racing that i've covered for a long time uh you know it's always interesting a new new crop of three-year-olds come along every year they only you know it's the ultimate one and done they got one shot at triple crown races and uh you know it's just fun to catch up and see what's going on or maybe meet somebody new to the game uh, kind of like I met Brad Cox about six years ago when he was up and coming trainer before he became one of the best in the world. There's so much interesting stuff and good stuff that comes out of horse racing that you that you just you know that you just ran off right there. I can see why, and it's due to your passion and your drive, and you combine that with the Eclipse Awards. I could see why this is the Oscars, the the Equine Oscars, as you say, and it sounds like it's going to be just a fantastic evening and, and a real culmination. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, and it, that's it. That's, that is the culmination of the year. And look, everybody had a crazy year in 2020. So it's not like it was unusual for horse racing. Although 
I do think horse racing, to, to its credit, was kind of like the ultimate bubble sport. Horse racing never stopped. When a lot of sports were still kind of stepping back and trying to figure out what to do and how to do it and all this. Yeah, they're the, uh, only, horse they're racing, the only athletes that were really unaffected, if you think about it. They're, they're the ones that kept going, and, you know, they, they worked it out. No fans can come. Okay, fine. No fans will be here. Uh, they just, uh, you know, they, they just – they, I thought they did a tremendous job overall. Yeah, they had to dance around some things. Suddenly, the Kentucky Derby's from May to September, and the, the Belmonts the first time out now in the Triple Crown instead of being the, the finale of the Triple. But it all worked, and from January through December, there was a horse race somewhere out there. Yeah. And uh, maybe not as you always thought it would be, but it was out there. And I, I think that that was uh, a tremendous, uh, you know, probably one of the few times – Honestly, because it's a, you know, the sport, look, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, gloss over things. They, they kind of, you know, fight, they fight among themselves a lot. Uh, horse racing does, you know, New York doesn't want to do necessarily what Kentucky wants to do, what Arkansas wants to do, what Louisiana and Florida and California want to do, you know, but having said all that, I think that horse racing probably came together this year or last year in 2020, more Benjamin than any time I can ever remember. And after covering it for a long time, and I, I thought everybody really worked together. If there's a good thing that could come out of what was just a terrible year, uh, it, you know, it, it, it was that, I mean, in a, in a sports for terrible year for everybody in life, that's the main thing. But in sports with all the confusion, probably horse racing had its best year of, of being a uni having a unified front and, a, and adapting and adjusting and trying, trying to work together. You know, Kentucky cooperated with New York and with California and with Florida, and, and, it, and it all seemed to work. And they don't always do that, you know. They, no. they, will, they will slug it out, and, and especially like over the medication issues, one, one state's different from another, and, you know, you can get into nanograms. I had to look up what nanograms is, <laughs> like a billionth of a gram, you know. I mean, that's how crazy some of the, the medication rules can get. So hopefully – they all learned in 2020 that if they stick together a little better in a sport that is not so universally known as they think it is. Now, New Yorkers know the sport. Kentuckians know it. Uh, certain parts of California, certain parts of Florida know it. Louisiana, Arkansas, Maryland, uh, some in the Midwest. But then that's it, okay? It's not going to necessarily play that well in South Dakota and in, and in uh, you know, uh, maybe parts of Mexico, New Mexico, I mean. So. Right. There are, uh, you know, that, there are pockets. Yeah. There are pockets. And, you know, that's a cool thing. You can go to New York. The Kentuckians can go to New York and they can strike up a conversation with a lot of people about horse racing. And I swear somebody will know somebody. They, they went to Roosevelt Raceway back in the day or, you know, they've been to Yonkers for a harness race or, you know, obviously the, uh, you know, Aqueduct Belmont. Uh, but that's always been cool. Sure. Yeah, I saw one or two harness races at Yonkers Raceway on the way home from a Yankee game. So, uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's um, yeah, <laughs> it's very interesting. I like the way you put it. Right there, I think one of the things that horse racing is maybe known for, and and it may be unfortunate, is the lack of universality from state to state. And the opposite happened as a result of this tragic and terrible year that we've all had to endure. The sport has come together as a result, and so it'll really be interesting. It'll be nice to celebrate it Thursday night, January 28th for the Eclipse Awards, but it'll be really even more interesting to see how it carries over into 2021 and, and beyond. 
Yeah, and, and I think it'll be uh, – I, I do believe that they're going to get better with the – in some ways because such a high profile. To be the face of racing, Bob Baffert had the controversies that he had uh, over issues that weren't performance enhancing, but they were – but it was medication that was illegal at certain hours before races, not always illegal. Mm-hmm. And that's very confusing and things like that. I think that would be the best thing maybe that comes out of 2020 is, and maybe, maybe more with him than, than anybody else it, in some ways, uh, because if it had been just some other trainer, maybe they wouldn't, but Bob, they, they got so much attention on Bob and enough people said, you know, that's, that's not fair. I mean, look, look at, Look at look at this training. What what did he really break? What major rule? You know, did lidocaine help a horse run that much faster? No. So we got to get together and get this thing organized better because to the general public out there, especially to the betting public, you know, they they may be scratching their head a little bit, and you can't have that. You know, the integrity of the sport, any sport that loses, any sport that has a little cloud over it is going to have trouble. And and I think racing maybe pushes that cloud away a little more this year. Uh, because of coming together in 2020. I think you hit it on the head, but now's the time to celebrate. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I wish you the best of luck with the awards and everything moving forward. Al Benjamin, listen, it's been my pleasure. It's uh, great to get to talk to you, and uh, I look forward to catching up again, and all the best in 2021. I hope it's safe and, and a happy year for you and yours. My thanks to Kenny Rice for joining me. I hope you enjoyed listening to those stories as much as I enjoyed having them. Don't forget, you can catch Kenny hosting the Eclipse Awards Thursday, January 28th on TVG. And I look forward to catching you next time here on Block's Corner. This has been Benjamin Block. Thanks for listening.